I pray the Lord continues to move mightily in our, in our midst. Um, I never want to take it for granted what God's doing here. You know, I pray, I, pray that, I pray that we would all have that same heart. We would never take it for granted what God's doing. Um, but this morning, uh, I, I want to ask you a question and, and see how many of you have been on one of these adventures before, had the opportunity to. But uh, have, how many of you have been on a mission trip before? A good bit of you. All right. How many have not? <laughs> okay, so a good bit of you. So about 50-50 maybe. Um, I would have you know, and I'm, I'm, we're really praying and, and working hard for the year of 2023 that things are opening back up in the church, uh, around the world for uh, teams to travel and go on mission trips. So for those of you who have not been on a mission trip, we're really hoping to plan a few mission trips next year through our church uh, for avenues for you guys to go and participate in uh, and for everybody that can go. Um, they really are incredible. And so encouraging you that you if you haven't been i would advise you to go because they really are life-changing right and you think about a mission trip um they they really are such a wonderful time and a wonderful trip i know that my first mission trip i was i think 17 years old and i got to go on about 10 i can't remember how many but i think it was 10 to 20 somewhere in that range basically in a five or six year period basically with jeff lee always tagging me along and bringing me and helping me and teaching me um, different things, but it was such a wonderful experience in my life, and it taught me so much, and some of the things I remember most about it uh, was going with Jeff was months before we would all gather together, and you who have been with Jeff will probably remember this. We'd gather together, and we'd start praying in his old Sunday school room um, before, and we'd fast, and we'd pray, and I just remember everybody getting so excited and ready for it. It was such a wonderful time, and then if you've been on one of those trips before, you can recall that when you, you, you get there, you get on the plane, and for some of you getting on the plane, if it's your first time, it's like really exciting. You're, well, maybe for some people. Um, some people might not be exciting to get on a plane. Um, either way, it's a thrill, um, you know, and the travel and the aspect of all that. It's just a lot of fun. But when you get there, there's really not a lot of time to rest. Usually you, you, you land, you maybe rest for the rest of that day, and then it's boots on the ground, full steam ahead. It's time to do the work of the Lord, right? And uh, you'll you do all kind of things, whatever that trip may be. And I was thinking about that and how wonderful those trips are, how wonderful those trips have been in my life. Um, but it's just interesting how so many Christians, when we go on mission trips, we're, we are so focused on the mission when we're on a mission trip. But when we come back home, we just lose that focus. And we kind of become off the, you know, it's just like, whoa, we, we just kind of go back into everyday life and we kind of lose, fo- lose focus of what God's really doing and the reality is, is that we are not called to live just for two-week mission, mission trips or one-week mission trips, as wonderful as those are, but we are called to live our lives on mission daily. Every single day, our life is to be lived on mission for Jesus daily. And it is not something um, that's lightly. So I want to talk to us this morning about a, a disciple's life on mission. What does that look like? What does it look like for a disciple to live his, his or her life on mission for Jesus and the reality is that every single one of us is called to that every single day. Um, I'm specifically going to be talking in the terms of a disciple versus a Christian. Not that I'm against using the word Christian. Um, it's biblical. It's fine. But the truth is the New Testament strongly uses the word disciple often. Over 290 times you see the word disciple used in the New Testament. And you see Christian used three times. And so when we're really talking, if we want to be as biblical as possible, what we really are in here today is if you're a born-again believer, if you have trusted in Christ for the salvation of your soul and you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, you are a disciple of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. You are going after Jesus. And, G- and a disciple is not just a, a state of being, but it's a state of doing also. 
the state of going, right? Following Jesus, being with Jesus, living this life. And so as a disciple, we do live this life on mission. And so I'm going to be talking in that sense. And really what my desire for us is this morning is just to simply remind us what this life ought to look like as we live on mission together. And in doing so, I just pray that as, as, as we seek, seek the Word of God, look in the Word of God, that we would let the Holy Spirit really search us, deal with us, provoke us, and that we would allow Him to move and, and shift our lives to align to the Word of God. Because that's what a disciple does, right? He follows Jesus, he follows the Word of God. And so that we would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and deal with us, and that our lives would begin to shift in the direction that He's calling us to live and live out for Him in this life. So if you turn with me, turn to the book of Mark, and we're going to read from Mark chapter 6. We'll start in verse 7, and then after that I'll pray. Just ask the Lord to really work in our lives today. Amen. Mark 6, verse seven, starting in verse 7, it says this, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Read, Skip down to verse 30 with me. Verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So just pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Jesus, and we we do confess, Lord, that we are called. And we know, Father, that our lives are not meant to live for a one-week trip on a mission, Jesus. But every single day of our lives, we are called to live on the mission you have given us. And I pray, Lord, that as we examine the Scripture, Lord, that we as your disciples, as we as your followers, as we who have trusted in you and come to you, And have been saved and redeemed by your blood. Lord that we would allow your word to pierce us God. In a way that would shift our lives towards you Jesus. And I just pray God that you would help us to understand. To know. To hear. To to the Holy Spirit just totally work in our lives. And it not be of the flesh or be of our willpower or ourself. But it has to be of the spirit. Oh God all spiritual things are only discerned by the spirit. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our heart. And move in our lives in a mighty way. We thank you and we praise you for all that you're doing in our lives, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you read this passage in Mark chapter 6, I understand that when you read this passage, this passage was written to a specific people, or well, was fed command here. It's, it's said to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. And when you read this passage in Mark chapter 6, you can see some instructions that Jesus gives that the reality is none of us follow. Right? Like... And rightfully so, you're doing good if you're not following this verbatim here. Because when you read this, I don't, I don't realize if any of you are walking around, I'm pretty sure you all have wallets or you have purses and you probably have cash in there. Unless, unless you're a millennial, you probably don't have, millennials don't really carry cash. But um, you, probably, you probably have cash in it, you probably have some source of money and so forth. And so we're not actually obeying this passage as, as these disciples were. And that's actually right. That's actually Okay. Because the reality is, is that this was specifically said to them for their specific mission at the time. But though the word of God is written in a way where sometimes it's specifically said to these people and we can't just, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to now, 
Um, no bread's going with me. I'm not going to bring a lunch to work. I'm not going to bring bags and, and no money wherever I go. And I'm only going to wear sandals. Like we, we, would be, we would be ludicrous to do that. We would look crazy, right, if we did things like that. But in that moment, that's what Jesus had them to do. But the reality is with Scripture is that though Scripture, sometimes it feels like it's disconnected from us, it's really not. Bible, the Bible teaches us that all Scripture is breathed by God, and all Scripture is for rebuke, correction, to make every man righteous, to help us to live a godly life in this life. And so this Scripture here, though it may feel kind of like, well, that, I don't know how that I can relate to this passage. The truth is there are still truths from it that we can pull from as disciples today that teach us how we ought to live our life as we live this mission out, what our lives ought to look like. And so as I was reading through this, I just want to give a few simple observations from this passage to encourage us, to stir us, to exhort us as you live this life out for Jesus. Let it be that you take the mission seriously and you live your life in such a way that the truths that come from this passage are impact you and you begin to walk after and so just dealing with this from the very beginning, I want you to think about this. I will be saying these things, and you can be thinking about it corporately as a church, sure. But I'm really asking you to think about it individually. Because I, I think corporately, we have an incredible ministry of what we do in our church. As far as people going on mission and people living the proper life on mission corporately. But I know that not every individual that sits in this room is in that place. I know in my own life, there are times that I go back and forth with things and I'm not always well in this area or that well in this area, but I want you to really allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you individually. And though we may be talking about the, the, the big picture of the church, we're really talking about for your individual life, are we living a life that is on mission for Jesus today? Okay? So the first thing that I want to encourage us to see is that when, as a disciple on mission, we should live focused. We should live focused. When you look at this passage and you look at this text, this is what you see. You see Jesus gather his disciples together and he gives them very specific instructions, right? He tells them that they're not to take bread, they're not to take a bag, they're not to take money, they're supposed to wear sandals, that don't even bring two tunics. Um, he t- tells them certain things to do, right? Enter a house, stay there. If they receive you, essentially, if they don't receive you, just leave. Don't worry about it. Those sort of things. Jesus gives very inst- specific instructions for his disciples, And what he is doing is he is basically saying this, as a disciple, these disciples on this mission, I would have you to not be distracted by things of this world, by the provisions of the provisions that you could get caught up in, the things that you might get caught up in. Don't let these things distract you, because what I have you to do is more important than these things. Which you see, not only that, as you see the disciples, he continues, he moves their focus from daily things to the focus towards eternal things, right? What they would, the task he gives them is not just earthly things, right? But he gives them the task, the focus is on eternal matters. This is the life of a disciple on a, on a mission, is that we live with eternal, eternity in mind. We live a life that is supposed to see for eternity, things that are ahead, not things that are just momentary in front of us. I wish I had the illustration. I don't have it with me. I didn't think about it. But there's this awesome illustration, if you ever see it, where this man takes a rope, and the rope's about as long as this room, and just the very tip of it is red. And he says the tip of it is what most people live for, and it's just the earthly things. And the rest of it is eternity. And the truth is, is Jesus is taking his disciples' focus on making sure they have all the provisions of the earthly things and getting their lives on the, on the eternal things, which is really people. 
When you look at this passage, he's sending them out to go to people. And the, the mission in the life of a disciple is a life that is not inwardly focused on our own things, but it's on those that are out there. It's on the people in the world that God has placed us. He says very clearly that is the mission, is to go to these people. Now, I understand that when you read this passage, you may say, okay, I agree with what you're saying for them. Chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, that's those guys. But, but really, when we look at it, this is not, even though this is what he's doing with them, he's removing distractions, he's removing things from their life, he's trying to get them to become focused people. This is really no different for us as disciples today. Though he may not say, don't take a bag, he still has us in this life not to live distracted lives, but to live focused lives. And in particular, he has us focused on the, he wants us to be focused on the mission he's given us. He does. Jesus desires for us to know what we're called to do and to live a life that is not just all over the place, just wondering what am I supposed to do? It's very clear. If you read the Gospels and you read what Jesus has, Jesus gives his church very clear marching orders, last marching orders. And, and many of you know it, but it's, 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 just, it's the simplicity of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples. That's it. The call of the church, the call of the, and, and again, remember, not just, don't, just don't think corporately church. Think individually, your life. Your call today is to make disciples. That's what you are called to do. Now, there are a, a, a lot of different ways to do it. There's a lot of different ways it happens. There's a lot of different tools that God can use. So don't get caught up in all that so much. But the reality is that your life today's purpose and mission ought to find its meaning from the last words of Jesus Christ, which was this to all disciples from that point and onward for everywhere. Go make disciples. And I know that that may feel like, okay, well, it seems to be that's what the pastors do or the evangelists do, but that's not the truth of the matter. In Ephesians chapter 4, when the pastors, when it talks about pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and all that, for the equipping of the body, right, the equipping of the, equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry, one of those major things there is simply this, to make disciples. That's the mission. So the pastors and us to equip you to go do the same, for you to go do the same. It's what Jesus had for every single individual believer from this time forward. And I know that sometimes the answers to that is we feel like, well, you know what? I don't feel qualified. I don't, I don't have what it takes. Because we do look at the people who have more knowledge and think they know, they know how to disciple people. But the reality is the greatest way Jesus taught his disciples was not necessarily the lessons he taught with his mouth. Though he did do that, but it was the life that he lived and he took them alongside of him with him. And he showed them how to live. You can be an effective disciple maker simply by living a life and helping people see what that looks like, following Jesus. And so you may feel inadequate. You may not feel great about it. But the, the truth is, what you see here is the very disciples that Jesus chose were leftovers. They were leftovers. They were overlooked. They weren't cared about. In, in, the, in the Jewish culture, when you got to the age of 13, you either continued on with a rabbi or you would go start working with your father. And not one of the disciples that we read about is with a rabbi. Because essentially what happens is the cream of the crop, the best of the best, would continue with the rabbis. And they would become great and they'd become mighty and then they would become a rabbi and so forth and all these things. And the way it worked is the young man would go to the rabbi and say, teach me, let me follow you. But when Jesus does something totally different, these men don't come to Jesus because they don't deem themselves worthy. They don't think they are worthy of anything. They've already been bypassed. But Jesus goes to them. Jesus goes to them and says, you will be my disciple, and you will make disciples for me. 
And this is what Jesus says to every single one of you in here today. To encourage you this, that your life has a purpose today. And the mission that we're called to be focused on as we walk in this life is a life that is making disciples for Jesus. And I'll just say to you this to help you because you may be like, what does it mean to be a disciple maker? What does that look like? A disciple maker, very simply... It is a disciple of Jesus, which if you're born again in here, that is you today. It is a disciple of Jesus who intentionally enters into relationships with people simply to help them trust, obey, and follow Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And that's what many of you did today in the altars. You took up the role of being a true, of, of hearing the call of, of Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, and said, I will intentionally step forward into this altar where this person is weeping and broken I will enter into a relationship with them and I will pray with them and help them trust and obey and follow Jesus through this difficult storm in their life. That's what every single one of us are called to. It, doesn't, it, it can look like that in the altar. It can look like that in a variety of ways of life. But every single one of us are called to this. But the truth is, if we're just being honest with ourselves, it seems, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that much of the Christian church in America has lost sight of this. They've lost They're focused on this purpose of making disciples and helping others follow Jesus and know Jesus and trust and obey Jesus. And they've got their eyes on so many different things. It's not that they're not focused. They're just focused on the wrong thing. Much of the Christian church finds themselves focused on business success, making money, fame, people pleasing, sports, School, grades, all of these things. We're all guilty of it. I am guilty of it. Even this last season, I, I meet with some guys weekly, and I just, I just told them this last, this last Friday we were talking, and I just said, I just feel so distracted sometimes from what I know God is calling me to do, and I just get distracted, and I allow things in my life to, get dis- to distract me. Things that are so temporary Jesus removes these disciples' focus off the temporary and onto the eternal. And I get sometimes so caught up in the temporary. And I know I'm not the only one like that. I know we all live there at times. But Jesus would say, as a disciple, we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We hear the word of God. And it pierces our heart and our lives shift back to what it should be. To live a life for the eternal, for the people around us. Jesus lived a life that was for others. Jesus constantly was doing things for other people's benefits and for their life. And this is what we are called to as disciples is to shift our lives back and say, I want to live for other people instead of for these empty things that have no you know, meaning or bring really no purpose to our life. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that work is pointless. Your hobbies are pointless. Nothing wrong with a hobby. There's nothing wrong with things you enjoy and so forth. But, but the, when we think about it, it's like when those things really become our passion and we lose focus of what we're called to do with those things. What is the purpose of having those hobbies and those passions and, and, and those jobs and, and, and everything you do, even your own children? It's to help them become followers of Jesus. Why are you placed in the place you're placed in? So that you can help people become followers of Jesus. Why do you enjoy, I was about to say hockey. Nobody here I think does hockey. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Help me out. Why do you enjoy what you enjoy? Simply so that you can use that as a tool to help other people come to know and follow Jesus Christ as a disciple of Jesus. This is what God gives us. This is how he infiltrates all avenues of life. It's through you individually 
doing what God has called you to do, taking ownership, a responsibility with your very life that this is what God has for us as the church. But the reality is so many become distracted or they're just not confident that they can do it and they're, un- they're, they're afraid or whatever it might be. Whatever reason they give, we just don't do it. We don't do it. We find ourselves not living in a way looking for that. We go to work. We don't really care about what's happening there. We do our things for ourselves. We pursue these things. We pursue these, those things and that. But the truth is we want to pursue people for Jesus. And so we must be focused. As disciples that live on the mission, we should live focused, remembering this is what I'm called to do. When you wake up in the morning, today, Jesus, I'm called to be with you and to help others be with you. I'm called to help others know who you are. I'm called to help others strengthen them and their walk with you every day of my life. And whatever avenue you find yourself doing it in, do it with all your might for Jesus. I was thinking about how you could, you know, just a picture of this. And going back to the mission trips that we've all, most of us have been on, when you go on that mission trip, you know, let's say you're there for a week. Could you imagine if you went on the mission trip and for the first six days you just spent time by the beach the whole time? Let's say we went to the Dominican Republic. We used to go there a lot. Could you imagine if we just said, well, you know, we're here. We're going on the mission trip. Guys, it's going to be great. We're going to go six, seven days there. And then we get there in the first six days. We spend all of it on the beach and just have fun and do whatever we want. And we, and we became so distracted from what we were supposed to do. And we came back, we would, that would be so silly. It'd be like, man, to a degree, yes, what a waste. What a waste of time and resources and energy. We only have so much time in this life. Our life cannot be focused on just the momentary things, but on the eternal things. And that's why I'm saying shift your heart to the eternal. And there's very few things in this life that are eternal, but the people right next to you. And the Bible you hold in your hand and the people out those doors and the people in your workplace, those are eternal souls that matter. The truth is that the matter is that we this is still a cause that has not been fulfilled. There are three billion people in the earth today that have never heard the gospel and not only have never heard the gospel. It makes it very clear that they they most of those people will die, live and die and never have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Three billion. LSU Stadium holds 100,000 people. Have you ever been in there when it's packed? Or Tiger Stadium, whatever you call it. It it looks like you feel like a little ant in the midst of that. That's 30,000 Tiger Stadiums of people that that have not just not heard the gospel, will never hear the gospel. And I know you may, I'm not saying, okay, now everybody just run out of this place and go to the places that no one has ever heard. But what I'm saying, do you realize that your small impact on one person has a ripple effect on another person and then another person and another person and another person? That's why when Jesus gives the parables about the leaven that's in the bread, the kingdom of God describing, it starts small and it spreads all throughout. When we take the mission of Jesus and we focus our life with it with a seriousness about it, it will spread throughout. But it takes the individual responsibility of every believer to say, this is my mission today. And I'm going to go out. And you never know the one person or the two people you may pour your life into. Maybe they're the person or ten people from them are the people that actually go to the unreached one day. I'm not saying you rush to those things, but it's possibility. And so for us... I, I, I could say to us right now, okay, I could, I could hear, all right, I'm going to go do something. 
I, I could just see it. I'm going to do something. Because some people, well, some people, that's enough to convict them to just do stuff. Um, sometimes it's not enough. But, there, but what, I, what I'm thinking through that as I was talking and just praying with the Lord through this, I just thought, I don't want people to hear that and then just go start doing things. Because I know that I, that's enough. Like you can say all this. We could say all this. And people could be convicted enough to start going do something that will last a week, maybe two, maybe three, maybe six months. But really the change that comes, that what's necessary for this to actually happen in an individual's life is simply this. Is I think it, it, it needs to be our eyes get off of the distractions and get focused on Jesus. Because when we're focused on Jesus and him, his purposes and his cause become our purposes and cause. Right? It's no longer about the distractions that I live for, but it's for Jesus. It's like the song says, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The things of this world will grow strangely dim. And so I just simply ask in your own life, what is your focus right now, disciple? Disciple, what is your focus? What is urgent to you? What distracts you? I'm not asking you, I I can't fix that. You can't fix that. But if you would turn your eyes on Jesus... He'd watch the things of this world grow strangely dim. And he begins to change what you do with your life. He begins to change how you live it out, what you do with the very things. There are 600,000 people in Baton Rouge that are unchurched. So let's take it out of the world's world way, right? Three billion, because like, okay, that's so far away. 600,000 in our city right now that are unchurched. That's enough. That's enough, Right? And so as a disciple of Jesus, the first thing that we see from this passage is that Jesus, with his disciples in this specific context, he removes the distractions and he, set, and he gets their focus on the mission at hand. And I just ask you right now, would you allow God to deal and point out the distractions in our life that keep us from keeping our heart focused on what Jesus has called us to do? Amen? The second thing you see in this passage about a, a, a disciple's life on mission is that a disciple on mission should confront the darkness should confront the darkness. When you look at this passage very clearly, Jesus gives the instructions to his disciples, and this is what his main, his main mission for them is to do this. Take my authority and go and basically cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel. In other words, Jesus is saying, your mission in this specific context, disciple, is for you to go and to confront darkness. And Jesus extends this in Mark 16 for all disciples everywhere. But the truth of the matter is when you look at this, Jesus is making very clear. Our, what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus is confront darkness. Not wait behind walls, but confront it. To go into the darkness. Pastor Lee has been saying for a long time um, that the, the, the church should be the answer to the world's problems. And the only way that can ever become a reality through the church of Jesus Christ is when the disciples of Jesus Christ individually, but yes, corporately together, is to confront and know I am called as a disciple to confront the darkness in this world. I'm not just called to sit on the sideline. I'm called to confront and to move forward in that. And and, and this is what Jesus' ministry was all about. If you go through Mark and you read the gospel of Mark and understand it, Mark chapters 1 through 6, 1 through 5 really, you see Jesus from the very beginning of Mark chapter 1 begin to start casting out demons, healing sick. And every chapter from there he's doing it. And they're not doing anything. He's doing it all. 
And this was Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry was one that confronted darkness, confronted the enemy, confronted Satan, confronted the demons, confronted sickness, confronted these type of things to bring life and to bring freedom. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, he says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power that those who were under the power of the enemy of Satan could be delivered and healed. This was Jesus' ministry. Not only that, in 1 John, we know that John says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, the works of Satan, the works of the enemy. And this was Jesus' ministry that he did while he lived and on his act on the cross. Sometimes we like to just say, well, his act on the cross did that. But no, while he was living, he was doing that. And he called his disciples to do the same thing here. And he calls you and I to do the same thing here. But the way he does it, he says, do it in his authority. Do it in his authority. Would you confront darkness around you with the authority of Jesus Christ? And I was thinking about this story in the Bible that you all probably know so well. The, 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 sons of, the seven sons of Sceva. Y'all familiar with this story? Where Paul is, is, I think it's Athens. He's over there and, and there's this demon-possessed man. And they recognize, and this, these seven sons of Sceva recognize what uh, Paul's doing and the power. And so they go and try to deliver this man of the demon and they fail to do so. And it says that the demon beat up the men and stripped them naked and they ran off. Like, bizarre scenario probably to watch. But the demon, when they try to say something to the, when those men try to say something to the demon, the demon says, Jesus I know of and Paul I've heard of, but we don't know who you are. And for so long, I guess in my life, I just kind of saw that as Paul is a great man. And, and I don't want to discredit things from the apostles or the disciples but just like I said earlier, the disciples were the leftovers. It's not like the demon himself was like, oh, Paul. It was that Paul knew the authority Jesus had given him as his disciple. And Paul walked in the authority that Jesus had given him. And so it puts it, it, puts it in this category. You are no lesser than Paul. Because the authority that Jesus gave Paul to cast out demons, he gives every single believer but you must know and remind yourself that you have been given authority for what purpose? To confront the darkness that is in the world today. To go after it with all that you have. And the places that God has placed you, would you confront the darkness? Would you work in such a way? Jesus, when you look at this, he, what does he do with his disciples? It says he called the twelve and began to what? Send them out. Hey, have authority, church. Have authority, but stay in the four walls. Have authority, but only talk to the people in the church. Have authority, but don't go out there. No, have authority. He's like, here's my authority. Go. Go. Jesus is always trying to get us to go. That's why in Matthew 9, when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that the, la that, that he, the labors would go forth. He doesn't even pray for, did y'all notice he doesn't even pray for the harvest? He prays for his own people to go because he knows we'll struggle to go. He's praying for us to go. And this is what God, this is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. But not only that, what you see is that Jesus, as he sends them out, and the disciples understand the authority, and they walk in this authority, and they go out and they confront darkness. What does it say in verse 12? They went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, and many who were sick and healed them. The disciples actually had an impact. If you would be, and I would be, a disciple of Jesus Christ that understands and knows the authority that Jesus Christ has given me to walk in, like Paul did, we would have an impact. 
His authority is not weak. His authority is not a failure. His authority is greater than any authority the world has ever known. The Bible says specifically in Matthew 28 that all authority has been given to Jesus. And he gives it to you to go confront, to make war, to battle, to take on the things of the world that seem to be plaguing our city. I was looking up some numbers on this and I was just heartbroken, y'all. Right now, and, and I pray that this does disturb you. There, there are over 750 sex trafficked young girls in our state right now. Who's the answer to that? Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Do we believe we have the authority of Jesus Christ to confront the darkness that does those things? Because that's not just a thing. That's demonic. It's a devil. And Jesus managed to destroy that. And he gives it to you. He gives you authority. Not only that, you could see the drug, the drug abuse scenario, the drug, home, not homicide, but the drug death rate and everything in our city has tripled in the last two years in Baton Rouge. If the church is walking in authority, could we bring that down? Could we? But or are we just disciples? We're disciples. We're born again. I'm not saying we're not born again. We're born again. But we're not walking in the authority and knowing my mission, a life that is on mission with Jesus is one that confronts. Or am I so busy in everything else that I'm not confronting anymore? I've missed it. I'm guilty of this in my own life. And that's why, I all, I, I, that's why I'm saying I recognize my failures. I confess them to the Lord. I ask him to forgive me and to help me walk by the grace of God in him to shift my life in a way that responds to this. That responds biblically towards this. One of the things, not only with that, there's other things in our city. The murder, as you know, murder has gone up significantly. I think it's from a two-year period, it doubled. The rate of murder had doubled. Um, we have constant, we have constant, there's 45% of uh, kids live in a single home uh, a parent home. Now, divorce is not of God. God doesn't like when people divorce. There are cases, the Bible makes it very clear, there are exceptions to the Bible. Jesus, in his own teaching, makes exceptions for. But Jesus isn't pleased when a father leaves his family and abandons his children. There are 3,500 foster kids in our state. 200 of them live in Baton Rouge. And I think, and Henry could correct me, I don't remember what it was, but I think he said... Almost like all of those, tell me, 10 families are willing to take over the 8-year-olds, and there's over 200 kids, and majority of those are over the 8-year-olds, by far. I, and I understand, like, man, I, I get it, like, I'm here with y'all. When I hear things like that, I'm like, what can I do? That's too hard for me. I don't, I don't want to be the answer because being the answer is too difficult. It's uncomfortable to my American version of Christianity. It's uncomfortable. But disciples of Jesus understand that the mission of Jesus is to confront the darkness. Again, I'm not telling you to run out there and everybody become a foster parent right now. Or everybody run up there and, and, and start you know, going into the drug area of the city and doing these things. But I am asking you right now, how are you even confronting the darkness? Is there a step in the direction? 
Because it's kind of like in our own lives, usually God doesn't just take us and put us here and then drop us all the way over there. God did not make me a pastor or say, you're, here I am, Here's your pa- you're going to be a pastor, and then all of a sudden drop me in it. There was a long road towards it. And sometimes you may, you may start small, but are you taking the step to confront the darkness where you're currently at? And the lives of your neighbor who are going through divorce, are you confronting that darkness? And the people in your classmates, students, you know, you know that suicide is rampant, and it's very, it's very high with your generation. And even Christians struggle with it in this young generation. You know, and many of them struggle with that. Are you confronting that in your school? Because you have the authority. He, he's given you the authority to do it. It's your choice to take it. It's our choice to live it. By the grace of God, he gives it to us to walk and to challenge the powers of darkness. And so this is who we are. And that's why I simply ask you, where are you confronting the darkness today? Where are you confronting the demons, the demonic, the evil, the things that are going on in this life? Could you partner together with other Christians? Could you partner together with other churches? Could you partner together with other groups that are already doing this and you become a part of it? It doesn't have to be all on you, but is your life lived as a disciple, is on mission, who's confronting? That's the question for us. I was picturing this in my own, you know, just thinking about it. I like superheroes, and so could you imagine if there was a superhero, and you could just say Superman for an example. If Superman dropped into a scene where they needed him badly, and there was chaos going all around him, y'all are probably like, this is, this is, <laughs> and there's chaos going all around, things are looking bad, and he has the power and the authority, well, the power to do it all, and to change it, and begin to deliver and make changes right there. And he's just like, nah. Nah, it, 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 like, that would be stupid, be fair, very silly, right? And not that we're Superman in any way or form, but we've been given the power of Jesus Christ to confront. And I just ask you, do you believe it? Do I believe it? There are times in my life I do not. The evidence of that is the way I live, but I pray to God that he would help me to grow in that understanding and that revelation so that I could Live the proper life of a disciple, one who confronts. The third and final thing about a disciple um, and what a disciple's life on mission should look like is one, it's, a disciple on mission should rest with Jesus. It rests with Jesus. And I, and, and I think this is such an important part for us because when you hear those first two, man, that's heavy. And that's hard. Like that's difficult, right? That's those are, those are exhaustive. That, that's tiring. That's very, like, to live those two lives, hey, I'm going to live for others. I'm going to live like Jesus did and, and live for the benefit of other people and help others and seek others and come to know you and follow you, Jesus, and so forth. And then I'm going to confront the darkness where you place me. And I'm going to live this mission out faithfully, Jesus. That's, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be tired. You're going to be worn out in many ways. But that's why it is so important for the disciple to understand that while you live this life, like this sort of mission, you must rest with Jesus. What you see in this passage, when you, when you come to it, 17, 13, is you see this beautiful description of Jesus giving the mission. They march out. They go. They do. And then there's this in-between about John the Baptist. But then when you come back to verse 30, the apostles return to Jesus and they tell him all that they had done. And Jesus' first thing to says to them is this. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus recognizes that when we take the mission of Jesus very seriously with our lives and we are focused and we confront darkness, we need rest. One translation puts it another way, and I like it more. It says that Jesus says, come and be with me. Come rest with me. 
be with me. If we are going to live a life like this, we have to use and understand that we must be with Jesus. Jesus did this with his own life, did he not? When you think about Jesus' example, Jesus would go and minister. And what would he do? He'd find a place in the mountains or go somewhere and hide himself away with the Father. And he would be refreshed and he would go and continue in ministry. And this is part of who we are as disciples. People who find the place to be with Jesus. And so just to let you know, if you are people in here who, who find yourself exhausted and weary from this type of life, Jesus says he wants to refresh you today. Jesus wants you to come to the altar and not have to work and just rest in him. And be with him. And what I love about this passage here is what Jesus is doing is what he's really doing is he's really bringing the disciples back to their original position of who they are. When Jesus first calls his disciples in Mark 1, 17, he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, come be with me and I will make you, I'll send you out. The first thing a disciple is ever called to do is to be with Jesus. It's the best place to be. It's from there that he sends us out. It's from there that when we come to be with him, it says, I will change you, he will change us, and he will send us out. But he's calling them back to this understanding, you can't keep this pace on your own. You must come to be with me. You must come and rest with me. And this is why as believers and disciples in here today, we have to guard that in our life. Don't get so caught up in the fast pace of the American life that we're so, we're so hurried that we can't be unhurried with rest with Jesus. We must be with Jesus here. Not only that, but in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus calls his disciples to him again, he says he, he says he called his disciples to him that they might be with him and send them out to preach the gospel and to cast out the unclean. In other words, it starts with being with him and then he sends us. And then we're going to be with him and we're going to go back out. We're going to be with him back over and over and over and over again. This is the way we live. This is even what Jesus did with his life. This is what we're called to. And so Jesus desires, he looks at his disciples and he wants to refresh them. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to bless them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, very good. I was thinking about this. So was it last week? Youth, was it last week? No, two weeks ago. When we had the retreat with the youth group two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, Pastor Lee, I believe, was out all week. I'm going to get this wrong. Oh, I'm cl- Either way, the point will be true. He was out almost all week or all week. And on Friday night, he drove to New Iberia to preach at a men's conference there. I think Russell went and some others went. Um, and then he drove from New Iberia to our youth group's retreat and got there about 1030 and he and then we stayed up to about 12 o'clock ministering to the youth. And then all day, Saturday, that man poured his life out with Jesus, to these youth. I mean, poured his life out. It was raw as you could get, to be honest with you. And then he preached. He, he, he left Saturday night, got up here, preached Sunday morning, did the prayer meeting Sunday night, drove to Shreveport, preached all all the, the week after that, started preaching that Monday and Tuesday and Thursday, and he continued to preach. And I'm not telling you this just to be like, oh, whoa, but my point being is this. When I have talked to Pastor Lee about how, because I honestly, we were at the prayer meeting after the youth thing, I was like, I'm exhausted. And he's like, let's go. And I'm thinking, he's, he's 58 and I'm 31. Like, come on. But it's because I truly believe that he knows this place of rest with Jesus. 
He's had to learn it. The pace at which he runs, the pace at which he goes, is a pace that is only sustained by the grace of God and resting in the quiet place with Jesus. It's a necessary ingredient for you. If you are going to be someone who's going to take the mission of Jesus very seriously and live your life on this mission, you must live in this quiet place with Jesus and be with him. Go back to what he originally called you to do. But I want to give you a second thought on this too. Because I do think this is a possibility. Where there are some people in the Christian life where if we were talking about rest here, and I'll give you a disclaimer here. I am not saying that you break communion with Jesus. Okay, don't think that. Because Jesus never broke communion with the Father, right? When he did his earthly ministry. But he had intentional times of getting away to rest. And then he would go minister and he was still in communion with him as he ministered. He was still being led by him. Okay? But I think in America, there becomes, there's become an obsession with wanting to rest. Wanting to be blessed. One South African minister said it like this. He said, we are obsessed with blessed. And we have this thing of like, give me, give me, give me, give me. Just help me, 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 help me. Like, uh, like Jesus, I know, I know I'm supposed to go on the mission, but I'm just, I just want to stay here for five weeks. Y'all, there's, no, and, and, and there's nothing in Scripture that says when life gets hard that we stop. In fact, the countering part of the, the counter of the cross-reference of this passage in Matthew is Jesus gives this exact same thing, and then he tells them, and you're going to be persecuted. So in other words, this is all your life, and guess what? You're going to be persecuted. Keep doing it. That's how he closes it. Regardless of what comes, whether it's persecution or whether it's hardships in life through trials, the mission doesn't get put on pause. God will use those hardships. He will use those trials. I've seen him use it in many of your lives as you've walked through those things. You've allowed him to. And because you've allowed him to, you have actually furthered and walked in the mission of Jesus. But I think sometimes we can get so caught up in wanting to just like, just give me, give me, give me, give me. We become so obsessed with it. And I was thinking about it. Have you ever come home after a long day's work and you've rested and it was really good? Have you ever rested too long? Some people are saying that's a foreign concept. There's no such thing. I've rested too long where you actually become more sluggish. Good example of this is, and I hope most of you don't do this, but you go home and maybe you watch like, youth group, um, 10 hours worth of like Netflix or something. And you, but you're just like, you know, like, it just makes you sluggish. We are not called as disciples to just sit and do nothing. We are called to go and be in this intimate, quiet place with Jesus. But then he desires for us to march out. He desires to come back. Desires to march out. And it's this place, this relationship with Jesus like this. And we're still in communion with him all throughout, okay? I'm not saying when you walk out, you're like, I don't talk to you. That's not what I'm saying. But the truth is, is that if we are people who are like, I'm not, I'm not willing to go. I'm just going to sit and rest. And we find ourselves exhausted. Maybe it's because we actually haven't engaged the mission. Maybe it's because we actually haven't lived our life on mission as Jesus has called us. And we're exhausted. And really what you need to do is just get up and start moving. Taking Jesus' words. Living them out. Helping others. Confronting darkness. Just helping people become disciples of Jesus. And then you're going to be like, I want that rest. And he's going to give it to you. That's what he does. And so musicians, you can come up. 
as I was thinking through this and just praying and closing with this, it's I do not by any means want you to walk out of here saying, I'm going to go accomplish a lot this week in your flesh or in your ability. I would just ask that as a disciple, like I said in the beginning, which we all would say if we're born again, we are disciples of Jesus, meaning followers of Jesus. We are learning the way of Jesus. We live with Jesus. We are with Jesus. We're coming to follow him and so forth. And as a disciple of Jesus, I would, have, I would allow the Holy Spirit to search me, not just me search me. Because if you search yourself, you're either going to go too deep, butcher yourself, or you're not going to let, you ain't going to, you're going to allow, you're like, I'm not doing anything. But allow the Holy Spirit to search you. And ask him, does my life align to this type of life? Is my life one that is aligned to a disciple's life on mission that is focused on making disciples today? Helping others, living for the benefit of others, serving others. Is my life as a disciple today lived out on a mission that it confronts the darkness in my city, my workplace, in my family, and the circumstances that I find myself? Or am I just idle hands? Idle hands. And I don't really want to do anything. I just want Jesus to bless me. And I just want the pastors to come on Sunday morning to make me feel good and tell me a good sermon. Remind me that Jesus loves me. Though that is absolutely important. It can't just be that. Or else we wouldn't be preaching the full counsel of God's word. And so, what is it? You allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you. Or maybe you do find yourself in here today and you have run hard. You just need to rest. You just need him to, you, just, you just need to come to this spot and you just need to say, Jesus, I am exhausted of confronting the darkness. Would you refresh me? And he's like, oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to give you grace and strength and power and life. I've been waiting for you.